and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June 3rd, 2023, a Saturday. Welcome, as always, to Keenon. Um, most of you know, loyal viewers and listeners, that I'm an Englishman who has lived more than half of my life now in America. And I'm always intrigued by the contrast in social class between America and England. It seems as if in England, there is, of course, the cliche of very strong class differences, but there's not huge cultural or even economic differences between the upper and the lower classes. Whereas in the United States that uh, fetishizes itself on equality and democracy, America is a profoundly, indeed, even historically unequal society. And indeed, the idea, I think, of aristocracy, the aristocracy that Tocqueville escaped in the 19th century is very much rooted in 21st century American life. American writers, when it comes to class and crime in America and in Europe, have always been intrigued. One of the great uh, writers on crime, an American writer, Patricia Highsmith, invented a man called Tom Ripley, remarkable fictional characters, one of the great inventions, I think, in literary history. In books like uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley, an American came to Europe to commit crimes uh, in a world where we take it for granted that uh, it's the Europeans committing the crimes and the Americans who are the innocents. When it comes to aristocracy and crime, both in the United Kingdom and in the United States, my guest today has been doing quite a lot of thinking on it. Sienna Sterling um, is a crime writer and she has a new book out. The Game She Plays Can Turn Deadly. It's a book of, about crime in the English upper classes, and it mixes in an American, uh, Sienna, who is joining us from Shepherd's Bush in West London, is the reverse of me. She came to London from Boston almost at the same time I came from London to California. Uh, Sienna, welcome. Congratulations on the new book, The Game She Plays. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Uh, Sienna, as an American living in, in the UK, you, like me, you spent more than half your life uh, in the United Kingdom. How important do you think social class is? It? Is it a kind of pretense, the old bride's head world? I mean, obviously, it's rich in a literary sense, but is it real? Well, I would say it was, actually, partly because, politically speaking, two-thirds of the cabinet now and under Boris Johnson, we're at public school, we call it in England, private school in America. So they come from that fee-paying school background, which is privileged. And only, I think it's 11 prime ministers since the beginning of their being prime ministers have not gone to fee-paying schools. So I think it definitely still exists, certainly politically. What is it about the difference between English and American culture, whereas Americans, as I said at the beginning, is unarguably a profoundly inegalitarian society, and yet people, both the rich and poor, imagine the place as, rel as a relatively level playing field. They wear the same clothes, they have the same accents, whereas in England, as I suggested, maybe there's a little bit of, of the reverse. Um, are aristocratic, maybe this is a little exaggerated or pretentious, but are ex 
aristocratic differences most prevalent Siena in societies where there aren't really profound differences in wealth and privilege between the upper and lower class? I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I suspect then it comes down to social class rather than money, uh, which is a different kettle of fish. You know, that if it's just the... If, if you can have equality money-wise, then, then it's different. You can, that's the American dream, isn't it? That you can make it. But when there's so much inequality financially as there is now, the American dream is something else altogether. Yeah, well, the American dream, of course, becomes the American nightmare. And you're in the business of nightmares. Your first book, Tell Us No Secrets and We'll Never Tell Lies, is... Uh... A stunning debut thriller, very successful. This new book, The Game She Plays, Can Turn Deadly, uh, is also a, a, a crime book, a, a twisted crime book. <laughs> what is it about social class, Sienna, that makes it an appropriate uh, stage for thrillers, for crime? I think it's an interesting, you get, it becomes almost an anthropological study. And then within that, people's positions within those class systems create tensions and difficulties that occur only in that basis. So what, you know, this is, this is the obvious follow-up to that. What is it about the upper classes in England that attracted you to write this book? And, and, and why do you place, quote unquote, an innocent American in the middle of this? Uh, I assume we're not going to give away any of the secrets in the book. And it's <laughs> twisted. So whatever well, we say is, is not necessarily revealing. So don't tell us everything about the plot. I won't. I but won't. It, but... It's certainly a book that contrasts the sort of slightly rotten, corrupt upper class England with an innocent America, which is which there is, is the perfect setting for a, for, for a twisted crime book. It does work. But I, part of what drove me to that was when I first came here, I was amazed, for example, that a lot of men I met had gone to boarding school age seven, right? You must which, have been make, meeting unusual men, Sienna. There were, there were, was, I was this in Shepherd's Bush? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I, they I may wasn't not have been telling you the truth. Maybe it was their chat. No, I promise you, they were. I actually went on one of these shooting weekends with one oh, of them. Oh, you did? Did you get so, shot? Yeah. Sorry? Did you get shot? <laughs> no, I didn't, but I was terrified. I also thought it was completely mad and crazy, and that these men were very, I mean, talk about innocent. In a way, they were so childish, partly because of the boarding school experience, you know, you're sent away at seven. That's like taking bites out of a child's soul, you know. And and they don't mix with women. And there's something very little boyish about them that creates an interesting atmosphere when you're mixing men and women. Yeah, I like that, taking bites out of the soul. And, of course, they took more than just bites out of each other's soul in their, their all-male boarding school. Is there a sexual element to all this? I think there often is, uh, certainly in the, there certainly was in the male boarding school. And I think that what the other element of it is that it's kind of, it's hard, their attitude toward women 
is very different, or it certainly was, and it's changing, but incrementally. So that they see women more objective as objects, and they see them as, you know, they're spoiling our fun. We lads want to get together. We boys do our thing. Stay, you know, you keep in the kitchen kind of thing. You know, they separate women and men at dinner parties after dinner. It's crazy, you know. I think that's why Highsmith is such a great writer because, of course, I don't know whether we call her a feminist, but she certainly was unusual and very much interested in female authority and power. Tell us a story of uh, the book, she gave, the game she plays can turn deadly um, without giving away too much of the twisted plot. Okay, so a young American woman meets an Englishman on vacation. They have a whirlwind romance. She ends up with him in London. He takes her to see for a shooting weekend, shooting pheasants in the countryside with his aristocratic friends, one of whom's an earl and his wife, a countess. And it's a you know, huge house, swimming pool, tennis court. It's a whole different so this world. Is the, this is your, your revisiting Brideshead Revisited. I am... Yeah, and but there's also a hint of quite a bit of Rebecca in it. Uh, oh, that's yeah. right. Because what and happens... Of course, Hitchcock would love this. It's a shame he's not around to turn your book into a movie. Uh, exactly. It's, it's hard enough for her to deal with all his friends, his group of friends who have known each other since boarding school days. Yeah. It's a club, right? So she's trying to fit in with them, and then his old girlfriend shows up, and she is a charismatic, stunning woman whom everybody loves. Okay, she's and this Rebecca. is Juliet. Yes, she's Rebecca, but she's not dead, right? Mm. She's alive, therefore more of a. So, so explain that. Not everyone would have seen Rebecca. Oh, or read okay. Rebecca. In, in Rebecca, the Daphne du Maurier novel, and in the Hitchcock film, uh, it's Maxim de Winter, isn't it? He, the main character's first wife has died, and his second wife has to live in her shadow. And everyone in his life seems to think Rebecca was the best thing ever, but it turns out. Tell us a little bit more about Nicola. Is she uh, a girl from the American suburbs, an innocent American in London? She's from Buffalo. She's reasonably... Oh, my God. Buffalo? Auckland. Yeah. You, you couldn't yeah. have found anywhere <laughs> more innocent than Buffalo, could you? Right. Well, she's not totally innocent because she punched don't give everything boss. away see i know we don't want well no 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 i'm just saying she she punched her boss and got fired because he was being obnoxious and sexist and this was and is she uh, she was brave this, this is um uh, a family show so i don't want to be too vulgar okay. but englishmen have often fetishized about the sexual proficiency of, of young american women is she success, uh, sexually proficient I don't really go into that, well, but let's she's say she's so. your invention, so you know her as well as anyone. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't delve into her sexual prowess, but I think, yeah, sure, of course she is. Yeah, otherwise they would be taking young English women. I mean, there's exactly. always something about the Americans exactly. that make them worthwhile to yeah. invite to their country home for the weekend. Exactly. So and play, and you know, she's she's smart and and clever but she's in way out way out of her debt yeah i hope there's a swimming pool there if she's way out of her debt <laughs> it's winter though but yeah so what crime takes place again without taking without undermining we want people to read the book okay so there is a character 
who goes on these hunting shooting parties who does die. Uh, but it's unclear for a long time for quite at the end who for a while at the end who kills her and why and how does social class play into this i mean is there the the, the english upper classes of course have a reputation for heartlessness for killing each other maybe this was uh you know in their boarding schools uh yeah i think there's the, a certain... uh, in the first and second world war are they particularly heartless this upper class? there's a certain route there are certain characters who are pretty ruthless i would say and or who could turn ruthless if if need be when something needs doing even if it's violent they do it and does this extend to the women uh to yes, uh absolutely juliet yeah this extends to the women. I mean, the women are smarter than the men, to be honest. Which isn't hard for the English, <laughs> uh, right? Not, no, not too difficult. Yeah, does Juliet have a little bit of Mrs. Thatcher? Although Mrs. Thatcher wasn't from the upper classes, but does she have a little bit of Mrs. Thatcher in her, a stealing what she, what she has is what I've seen in two women who, in my lifetime, who have this ability to draw in every single person they meet. So, you know, Bill Clinton, they always said, if he talked to you, you felt yeah. the person in the room. Well, she has that, but she has on top of that. It's not only are you the only person in the room, but she gets you, right? She understands you. She's on your team. She's, you know, she draws you in hugely. Why and is she the ex? Who chose to break up with who? She chose to break up. That makes her even more of a threat because she's the one that... So is, is he still in love with her? That's another question. We, had a, we, we did a show, Sienna, last year with uh, another crime writer, Ren Stefano, um, on female serial killers. I don't want to give away any, right. anything from your book. Uh, but she believes that everyone might have a murder in them. Do you think that's true? We all, all of us? Julia, uh, Nicola, you and I, James, the boy. Uh, the that's a really fascinating question. And okay, so maybe if you threaten my child or my grand, yeah, absolutely. There, it's possible. I mean, I as a as a crime writer, as I said, to you, how close you are to somebody, and and what passions can ignite because of that closeness. I think, or money, or you yeah. know. So there but you jealousy, are in uh, jealousy fuels a lot. Right. Uh, uh, Sienna, you, there you are in your your Shepherd's Bush kitchen. Yes. Uh, writing books like The Game She Plays Can Turn Deadly and Tell Us No Secrets and Will Never Tell Lies. How did you get drawn into crime or at least writing about crime? Uh, I I like crime novels. I like the twists. I really like twists. I like the idea that an ending can surprise you. And that's what I hope I've done with both my books. They're surprising at the end. And I enjoy that. And I enjoy writing that. And I enjoy figuring out how to turn it a little. Does it surprise no, you? Do you know exactly where you're going in your books? Not always. But, <laughs> but, but, but I get there. And the, the ending is crucial to me. I get very upset when I read a book and I don't like the ending. So. Well, it's essential for a thriller. I mean, if the ending yeah. isn't thrilling, then it's not a thriller. Right. 
so I so I I'm keen on that. That was another Hitchcock. I used to read the. I used to be an Alfred Hitchcock mystery magazine fan. I used to get them. Yeah, day. I mean, and Hitchcock, of course, understood. Uh, one of the movies that comes to my mind with Hitchcock and the aristocracy and murder is The Rope, which is, of yeah. course, a, a film yeah. about the American upper class murder, yeah, but it's also a, 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 an iconic homosexual film. That was an amazing film. Yeah. And James Stewart was amazing. They were all they were all three were great in that film. I mean, do you think that there's something about the upper classes, perhaps in their love of perfection and of art and of beauty? that attracts them to the perfect crime. I mean, that was Hitchcock's point in The Rope. Yeah, I think maybe they they feel that they're sm smarter or cleverer and that right. they get away with it. Do you know what I mean? Well, that was certainly in The Rope. The, I can't yeah. remember the name of the main that was guy. The but... whole, yeah, the whole idea that they, could, that they could get away with it. But they didn't. Jimmy Stewart came to the... Uh, it's always Jimmy Stewart who comes always. to rescue, yeah. except in Vertigo, where there was no one to rescue. <laughs> That's true. Um, we also did a show last year with Paul Tremblay, a leading horror novelist, um, who talks about the life of a professional horror novelist as the scariest story of them all. Have you? <laughs> I mean, for the for the for, is the life of a, a thriller writer a thrilling story, or is it as I, dull I as think, most of us? Do you sit in no. your kitchen in Shepherd's Bush and write your books? Yeah, or do you still also, go to listen, uh, weekends with the upper classes shooting? No, no, that's just, I don't do that anymore, believe me. But I do listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, which is kind of depressing, but because there are so many dead bodies and I and I should stop, but I, I'm kind of addicted. So and well, yeah, we and did I, a show uh, last year with Joe Pompeo, a journalist who wrote a book about a 1922 true crime story which still resonates in america what is it about true crime that obsesses certainly you and many of us and what's the difference between what you're doing as a, a fictional thriller crime writer and the true crime literature i think fiction you can because you can play around with it more i mean it's it's more engaging in a way but true crime, because it's real, you think, oh, my God, these people actually did that, you know, and why and how and and they get caught. I mean, almost all the time you think what are how that passion erupts and how they get caught so often is just is is fascinating to me. But so is the writing of it. So both are equally interesting to me. But do you think it's the truth of the crime or the criminality itself that attracts such huge audiences oh. for podcasts and books? Well, then you're back to Dostoevsky. I think it's the... Well, we're always back to Dostoevsky. Yeah. Yeah, he's the father of all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's the... I think it's the passions involved, actually, that are the most... that drive it the most and that's interesting everyone in the... can see those how those passions bubble up everyone can relate to that whether they have them you know or not everyone in my book i'm thinking most women know that kind of jealousy right or not fitting in how that feels trying to make friends with the guys or partners friends what you, you know all of that they understand that it's just how it bubbles over 
And that's the interesting thing, actually, about the English upper class is that they have fashioned themselves as being above fashion. Not, uh, sorry, above, not fashion, passion. Right. passion. So they, uh, they, their mode of being, again, this is a bit of a cultural generalization, is to skate above the passion. It's the stiff upper lip. And, and that, I do think, is was certainly true with a lot of them that I met. There was the keep calm, carry on, stiff upper lip. There's something to be said for that sometimes, uh, but not to the extent that they they indulge in it. Has do you think this aristocratic culture in the UK has it permeated everywhere else? I mean, there's this. Of course, we haven't even talked about the obsession with the royal family. That is fascinating. The obsession with the royal family, to me, anyway. And everybody, I mean, everybody I meet is obsessed with the royal family. I mean, pretty much 99%. Although people seem more obsessed in the UK, in the US than the UK. I know. What's that? You can tell me. What's that about? You're asking me. You need to write a book about it. Maybe you need (laughs) to write a a crime novel about the murder of the king by a prince or something. (laughs) On a shooting trip, a pheasant hunting trip. We're away from Dostoevsky to Shakespeare. Why do you bring up, in all seriousness, Dostoevsky? Why is he the father of all this? Well, crime and punishment, I think. You know, you can't... That, that is all about those passions. And also, the, there's an absurdity in crime, too, somehow. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think he shows that. And there's a randomness in it. And an that, amateurishness. Yeah, Exactly. So is this book, The Game She Plays, uh, Can Turn Deadly? If, if it gets reviewed and someone says, this is Dostoevsky, and would you take that as a compliment? Oh, absolutely. Of course I would. Uh, be impossible not to. Yeah. Absolutely. What other crime writers are you influenced by or trying to emulate? Well, I, I don't emulate them but i'm i'm a fan of harlan coben i like his he's got a sense of humor too i like that when there's a sense of humor in it uh elmore leonard i loved uh so the jillian flynn i think she's brilliant so there are lots of them that are really good what about highsmith fantastic brilliant yeah and what about ripley the guy who gets away quite literally with murder that's that's a story I wish I'd written, right? I mean, I really would have loved to, to have been able to come up with that. I think that's genius. Well, what's astonishing about it is, of course, that we assume that killers should get caught because that's what justice is all about, and that's what Highsmith was writing about. Do you think as a crime writer, as a thriller writer, the issue of justice is relevant? Do you play no. with it? No, I don't think, I mean, it may be relevant, but I don't, I wouldn't bring that into my mind when writing, you know. It's not about whether you get caught or not. It's about why you do it, to me. You know, what what motivates it. So do you think the best crime writers, and maybe this is again a, a, a Dostoevsky dilemma, shouldn't have a conscience, or maybe should have too much of a conscience? Because, of course, Dostoevsky was a deeply religious man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to have some conscience, but I think you also have to be aware that some people don't, you know, and I think there are people who don't. 
But Dostoevsky, particularly in Crime of Punishment, was suggesting that you can well, commit Raskolnikov murder and still have con a conscience. Yeah, Raskolnikov had a conscience, absolutely. But I don't think, I mean, I think part of the reason the talented Mr. Ripley was so great was because he didn't have a conscience, right? Not really. And yeah, he didn't have a conscience, but he was also someone you rooted for. That was her, that was the yeah. brilliance of it. Yeah. And and that was class too. I mean, that was a different class of society that he was aiming for, you know. And he was, of course, a young American, uh, sort of mm. slightly rootless, classless. But do you think you could create a Ripley out of America? I mean, a, a non a non American Ripley, or was he the the best export that America has ever sent <laughs> over to Europe? He's. A, I don't know if he's the best. He may be one of the most interesting for sure, and very smart. But uh, yeah, I think he had to be American, actually. I think there is a innocent abroad element to all this that has to do with just time and history and ages. And, you know, so you go to these old houses and they've been there for hundreds and thousands of years. It's a different feeling than and that puts you in a different place and a different centuries and, you know. Yeah, Nicola, of course, is the innocent. Do you have an obligation? Maybe not moral, because you don't have any moral obligations as a thriller writer, but do you have a, a narrative obligation to end the book with the end of her innocence? Or can you have a thriller where the innocent heroine remains as innocent at, at the end as they are at the beginning? I think what I wanted to do was have her be innocent, but in danger. Not as innocent because she can't be because of what's happened, but there's also a dangerous aspect to it. The end of my book, I think. So you, we, you want us to like and care about Nicola? Yes, yeah. And I want you to wonder at the end. I want a lot of speculation. And what about <laughs> Julia? How are we supposed to feel about Julia? Well, I think we're not, she's not our favorite person and yet we recognize it. I mean, as I said, I've met, people like her and too and women and you kind of can't help but admire them because of the way because of their charismatic nature it's hard not to doesn't mean you like them also she has you know